hello and welcome everybody to monster Soundwave. my name is robert snow i'm your host with me today i have my co-host micah norton how you doing micah i'm doing pretty good robert <laughs> that's great so micah and i have known each other now for like seven years six years or something like that uh we met at work and now we both work in different places and now we both live in different places and we've had multiple life events since then uh but i wanted to start this podcast because i now have a hour-long commute every day and when i was looking for dungeons and dragons podcasts i found very little conversational podcasts like a weekly podcast about what's going on in D D. um most of them are like live plays or real plays or actual plays um which just isn't as interesting to me as kind of like the culture of dungeons and dragons the news that comes with like the new books and stuff um especially fifth edition and stuff and so that's kind of like why i wanted to start this and i thought about man do i need to like own every DD book do i need to have like dm'd like a thousand games in fifth edition before i can do a podcast like this am i the wrong person for this and so I basically waffled for the last year on whether or not I was qualified to do this. And then I just decided, you know what? No, I still can't find anything like it. So I'm just going to put this together and do my best. And I was thinking about, okay, who can I have come with me? And I thought about who's the most exciting person to listen to. And that was my old buddy, Micah. I basically, I wasn't sure like, how much he had played in fifth edition or anything like that. But I just knew this guy is a super nerd and he can nerd out about basically anything. So that's why I invited him. And so our topic of the show tonight is going to be just why we love Dungeons and Dragons, how we got into the game. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about like what's coming up for fifth edition in the next like couple of months. So. Micah, when did you start playing Dungeons and Dragons? Well, as you said, uh, I was a super nerd growing up. Uh, and with that comes a lot of um, weird, non-sociable uh, actions. <laughs> and from that, I had a hard time getting a friend group. But when I did, that friend group played Dungeons and Dragons. And since then, had become... Um, an activity that we would do every night. Uh, we played everything from homebrews to um, canon 4th edition. Had a bunch of miniatures that we reused for all different kinds of encounters. And uh, made pots of coffee that we would drink until 5 in the morning at the dinner table of family friends uh, who had uh, 10 children who all were connoisseurs of all things fantical and gave me my love for fantasy. That's awesome, dude. Um, so yeah, so I got into the game back in college. Uh, I came up, it was like the second day of college. I climbed up uh, to my like walk-up dorm, and in the common area, there were all these people with like dice and books open. And I was like, oh my goodness, like these people are already studying. It's only the second day of classes. Like, what have I gotten myself into? And so I just kind of like jokingly asked them, I was like, oh, what class are you guys in? And they were like, oh, uh, we're playing Dungeons and Dragons. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like, and 
like I immediately just thought like what nerds like I can't believe that people actually do this like I've heard of it but I didn't think that anybody played it and so I just sat down I was like hey can I like can I watch and they were like uh sure and so I sat down with them and I watched and I was like oh my goodness this is so cool they're like wizards and knights and they fight like all sorts of demons and stuff I basically spent the next four years of my life getting a degree in parks and recreation with a minor in dungeons and dragons and storytelling. Um, and so we played 3.5 edition to start, and then we kind of drifted into pathfinder and then into like fourth edition. And then what's really funny is that during the pandemic, we all got online and we started playing like over some different apps and stuff online um in fifth edition and that like so i've i've basically had one play group most of my life but now that i've got three kids i've started playing dungeons and dragons with my kids um and running games for them and i've also run games for like other family members over christmas last year we ran like a one shot for all of my wife's family who are like pretty conservative christians and like i was just like it's cool like you guys can like we'll just play this i'll just try to avoid like the demons and stuff and uh we had a really good time with them too so now i'm just like totally hooked on fifth edition and uh that's kind of how i got into the game and then well obviously we played a little bit when we worked together in minnesota uh minnesota <laughs> up in the north southern canada southern canada yeah, because uh, our friend Alex, uh, who worked with us up there, was getting into it. And so he was running some games for us. Uh, I think he's still running some of those games with some of the people like he, um, online and stuff. Yeah, he actually is uh, starting up that same pirate campaign that we played. Uh, most of the characters are still alive, but he had a kid of his own. Uh, but there was actually a meeting either last week or maybe it's actually taking place this week about uh, starting that back up and, and kind of figuring out through the time frame uh, where all those characters are and what have they've been doing over this long course of time. Yeah, that's, that's super cool. And that's the beauty of D&D and really the beauty of like living in the internet age is that like even though most of us don't live in Minnesota anymore, although do you still live in Minnesota or did you move to North Dakota? I, I do live in Minnesota, right on the border of North Dakota, but yeah, still in Minnesota. Um, yeah, so I mean, even though a lot of us don't live there anymore, it's kind of cool that there's still like these connections and we can still play and stuff. So, that was actually the beauty of it for me is um, just the ability to have people that I fit in with and not be afraid of your imagination and, and getting to storytell and be creative. I mean, I think that that's really what the draw is to Dungeons and Dragons, being able to express yourself in a way that is deemed by the vast majority of society as weird or abstract, but being able to get together with people from all different walks of life. Now, instead of being Micah and Robert, you are Vlagnar and the wizard of of the coast and being able to express yourself in a way that uh, most people would deem strange <laughs> yeah what's really cool though is that i mean if you look at dungeons and dragons popularity over the last like maybe five years ten years even 
it has gone from being this like kind of niche market tabletop role-playing games thing to just being full on back into like the main like nerd culture like wheel of things that people are into and i credit a lot of that with just like we've gotten like you know things like game of thrones and we've gotten things like you know we've got like the board game culture has really like exploded and i think led to tabletop stuff i think stranger things like having dungeons and dragons like be something that those kids play in it like and just you know more and more i think people are realizing like oh like this is kind of a fun way to hang out with people without just like talking about our jobs or talking about our kids or like you know comparing like 401ks or whatever like i think i think that it gives people a way to like interact without having to like just talk about like the mundaneness of life yeah i think an escape from reality for sure and i think that media has definitely boosted dungeons and dragons in a whole but i think that uh, our technology um has also made it more accessible i mean they have things like dungeons and dragons beyond now and tailspire and roll 20 and even things like hero forge to make it so you customize your characters your your creatures that you have encounters with i think that that's just the beauty of being able to do it in the 21st century is it's not you know lincoln logs and a chessboard anymore it is you know 3d printed beautiful constructions and and personalized heroes and personalized enemies and an ability to to share uh campaigns through the the beauty the magic that is the interwebs i think that that has has been a draw for many people now that it's been more digitalized um and i think it just adds to the uh the culture that is dungeons and dragons i don't know about you but when we first started playing dnd we had almost no miniatures we would like use pennies and quarters or we would like grab like you know just like whatever objects we could find around our dorm rooms and be like oh this is this is like this wizard or like we were just like we had this one like dry erase mat that like just got written on and wiped and written on and wiped and written on and wiped and i mean today with like technology and what you can do there but also just like how much easier it is with like the different character creator apps out there really with just how simple they've made fifth edition because it's not nearly as complex as 3.5 just uh you know it's so much more streamlined that you can just bring somebody into the game a lot easier and you don't have to try to explain like okay so you're a rogue you have 19 skills available to you you have you're level four so you have 37 skill points like oh. and you're gonna need to divide them into these and oh yeah let me tell you what like like all these different skills mean like so i i credit the people at wizards of the coast with simplifying 5e a lot and then you know they've they've really brought in some stuff that makes it so much easier to play with you know roll 20 and D beyond i totally echo that i mean you've you just hit the nail right on the head there i oh, think it. i think the other thing is is I think people are realizing, oh, you don't need to have a thousand dollars to get into this hobby. I mean, you can easily spend a thousand dollars on this hobby, like real quick. You could spend a thousand dollars on this hobby, but I have ton I've played with tons of people who haven't spent anything on fifth edition because they're just kind of a casual player or they're or they are part of a group and the group is, you know, 
either purchasing stuff on D&D Beyond or Roll20, and then everybody's working together to like utilize those things. So, I mean, I think that's the other thing, too, is that you don't have to spend buku bucks to get into this hobby. There's there's a very low cost of entry. And Especially I mean, if you have, like, a local game shop, right? I mean, usually local game shops will have a Dungeons & Dragons night that you can sign up for little to no money. They're just glad to have the participants. You know, some, some nerdy dungeon master is like, yeah, I get to share my campaign that I spent three weeks building in my mind and putting onto a Google spreadsheet. Now I've got some sorry sap that's that's paying me to sit at the table for for ten dollars. <laughs> I this is this is it. I've made it as a dungeon. I, I have a friend who basically worked as an employee for this game store and she ran like multiple campaigns for their customers and she got paid to be a dungeon master. There's definitely a lot of paths to entry. And I think that that makes it, you know, more approachable and people get into it. Like when I was in college, I think I bought one book for 3.5 edition um, because I was just like the new guy and a bunch of other people had books. And um, I think I bought one dice set, you know, so for like 35 bucks, like I felt like, oh, I'm like part of the group because I have the PHB two. And I had like a dice set and it was like, okay, I'm in. But I didn't even get that until I had been playing for maybe a year. And I think what's cool now is that, you know, with all of their like starter kits and starter sets, you can basically try out D&D for like, you can get like the $20 starter set or sometimes it's on sale for like as low as like $15. You can get that starter set. It comes with four characters, a little mini adventure everything you need to play for like probably two to four sessions and you can just get that and and play you know you don't have to have like oh i've got like six books a hundred dice a thousand minis so i'm ready i'm finally ready to play D D. you know you, you just don't need all that stuff although as somebody who has collected a lot of that type of stuff it is really cool to be able to be like hey Look at my sweet collection of alternate art fifth edition books and all of my unpainted miniatures. <laughs> you see my unpainted miniatures? Dude, you don't gotta out me like that on the podcast. You don't <laughs> I think anybody who owns the quantity of miniatures that you own probably has their fair share, aka ninety odd percent of unpainted miniatures sitting in their home. And they're oh, dreaming man. about the ability to one day, one day get all of those miniatures painted exactly how they want them. But you get, you get the, like you said, you're already teaching your kids and your family. That's a great hobby to do with your kids too, I'm sure, is sit down at the table and paint some miniatures. And You know what? As soon as, I gave up, as soon as I gave up the idea that I was going to be like some kind of pro painter level for like Instagram or something. All of a sudden, it got a lot easier to paint miniatures because I was like, oh, look, Gatorman, they're, they're all green and I'm going to paint them green and I'm not going to worry about what shade of green. I'm just going to grab the first green paint pot that I find. And I'm going to paint them. And so it it does go a lot faster. I painted a werewolf who looks pretty sick the other day uh, and I did it in like 35 minutes. And I don't think I've ever painted any miniature that fast because I would just like feel like, oh, it's got to be better. It's got to be better. And now it's just like. Nope, I just got to get this painted because my kids are going to fight a werewolf like 
on Tuesday night. And so I need to like get some brown on this and maybe dry brush it real quick. So um, I remember you used to go into great detail. I mean, I remember seeing like armor with like rust, um, you know, detail on it, like on the metallic portions of it and stuff. I, I remember looking at it. Wow. Yep. This must have taken a lot of time. <laughs> and yeah, he's no. got like a thousand plus. Right. <laughs> now I have three children and uh in a smaller house. So I, and I lots of multicolored lizards. Nope, I've got a bunch of just green lizards. But that's the other thing. I let my kids paint the miniatures now. I'm like, go ahead, paint it up. Like and my daughter, I mean, I have multiple rainbow monsters uh in my pile because uh, my my daughter basically whenever I'm like, okay, what color should we make this? She's like, let's do it rainbow. And I'm like Oh my god, this is gonna be so hard! And then we just paint it rainbow. So I got a rainbow griffin. I got a I got a rainbow manticore. Uh, she wanted the last dragon that we painted to be teal, purple, blue, green, and yellow. And I was like, we gotta cut it down to two because uh, that's too much. So you know what's scarier than regular manticores? A prismatic manticore. <laughs> you know that is pretty scary. There are, I think right now, I kind of want to look this up, but I think there's like 22 like official Dungeons and Dragons books out right now. I've got 27 plus three more coming. Wow, that's like pretty significant. I mean, there is a lot of information. This is the thing, right? 27, but of those, I would say that like if you were somebody new who's trying to get into D&D, I would say. You need a copy of the player's handbook in any form, digital, or if you buy it on, like, if you get a hardback copy, or if you, you know, whatever you do, somebody somebody in the group's got to have the player's handbook. And then... Probably a monster manual, right? I mean, that's... Yeah, I mean, you... You could get a monster manual. I, I mean, you should probably have the monster manual. I've got the monster manual. But then really the only thing like those are really the only two things that you have to have. If you're going to play more than like for like five or six sessions, somebody probably wants to get the dungeon master's guide. And then it really just depends. Like, have you been building a world in your head for the last like hundred days like that you want to run? Like you probably don't need anything else. If you're like super into like, greek culture and you just want to like run something in ancient greece you could pick up mythic odysseys of theros um or if you really want to run like a pirate adventure you could pick up something like ghosts of salt marsh but it's not like like yeah there's 27 books but it's not like oh these all build on each other also i mean you could there's like a fair bet on just like reddit or youtube or google you know you can find a lot of that information Reddit, Google, Facebook groups. I mean, honestly, that's one of the reasons why I was like a little bit hesitant about the monster manual, because there are so many homebrew monsters. If you go on Reddit or into some of these Facebook groups or like just or like different forums and stuff there. Even making a character. I mean, races and classes, you can find all of those free on the Internet. And then. um Right. Or or you can jump in on D&D Beyond if you like, let's say that you're not the dungeon master in your group. You can go on D&D Beyond and you can make a character, I think, with just like the the four free classes. Like as long as you're not trying to make like a very specific, like, you know, half dragon, like 
artificer or something where you would need multiple books to get it if you're just like i want to play a fighter or i want to play a cleric or a rogue like i think they have like four or five classes that you can just like make kind of a basic character for free on D beyond so i mean there's very little that it's like oh you have to get this stuff um which i think is great for the hobby because it gets people in it gets them hooked and then sooner or later they're going to be like no i really want to like you know explore this area or like i can't live without getting the newest book and and i think that's great too so i really do think that uh dungeon dragons beyond just to touch on that like even if you have one person if i'm correct the dungeon master can share the end dungeons and dragons beyond was like a breakthrough for me because there was so many times playing dungeons and dragons where new players would come in and that would be the turnoff right is that they're like well i don't really feel like making a character takes like an hour and then i have to share the book with people and if we figure out a rule that doesn't resolve because the dungeon master doesn't know the correct way of resolution then we got to go and stop the, the encounter and look up how things resolve whereas dungeons and dragons beyond it's just like a click of a button away and everybody has information i mean camp we're all playing with our laptops and it was wonderful <laughs> it made things go by so smoother and quicker and really quickly we're not sponsored by wizards of the coast or dungeons and dragons or dnd beyond or roll 20 or any of the things that we're mentioning here but so what I wanted to like shift into here is just talk about the different types of books in fifth edition. So uh, the way that they break it down is there are three core books and those are the player's handbook, the monster manual and the dungeon master's guide. And those all came out in 2014 and they're kind of like the core books. Uh, you got over like 900, almost a thousand pages worth of information on how to play D and D in there. And I would just argue that you don't need all of that to start. Um, the player's handbook even has like some monsters in the back. It has like animals and thieves and stuff like that, like some some really generic stuff. So if you've got the PHB, you're pretty much good to go for session one. Um, and then the supplemental rules books, these are like kind of expansions on those. So there's right now there's two that are kind of expansions on the monster manual, and that's Volo's Guide to Monsters. Um, and then Mordeca Mordekainen's Tome of Foes. So those are both just like more monsters, more bad guys that you can put in your game. Two other books that I would recommend, like especially if you're like, hey, I want to give my characters a lot of freedom for like how they build their stuff. Um, Xanathar's Guide to Everything has tons of new like backstories for your characters, um, which do have like mechanics in the game. And then Tasha's Cauldron of Everything pulls in a bunch of different like bits and bobs of character creation from a lot of the previous books um, or like specific campaign settings and stuff. And it also gives you like some new ways to um, some new like archetypes for classes from the player's handbook. So um, there. So those are like those are called the core and the supplemental rule books. And then they have what's called campaign guides. I would call these like setting books because they basically are like, here's an entire setting, like with all the information about the cities and the people and the lore, like that goes with it. And so they've got a bunch of those. 
there's also this is where like all the magic the gathering crossover type stuff comes in so there's Guildmaster's guide to ravnica mythic odysseys of theros which i didn't even know was magic until i like started reading it and then um there's going to be another magic book coming there but we'll get to that in the news and then the last thing that they have which i would recommend to new groups is adventure books and so these adventure books are usually designed to take your character from like one to eight or one to 15 or one to 10 they're designed to be like you you can play with this book with this story for like probably 20 30 sessions like maybe we should break down to hours like you probably have like 50 hours or more what i love about the adventure books is like uh, i'm playing through the curse of strahd right now um with my like my original game group from back in college um and so that's really fun to be playing like a very vampire like kind of gothic horror campaign but i love that there's like little pieces in each of the adventures that i've read that i'm like oh i can pull that into my world or oh i can pull this into that world um and so that's that's like a really neat thing that i enjoy about those so those are the kind of types of books you still with me micah i sure am all right uh so because of so I wanted to go over those types of books because we've got three books coming out in the next three months. First up, on September 21st, uh, we get the newest adventure book, and this is called The Wild Beyond the Witchlight Adventure in the Feywild. So this will be a new adventure book uh, that starts at the Witchlight Carnival that is a traveling carnival that can really be dropped down like in any like setting or any place and then the characters can enter the Feywild through that carnival and there's an entire adventure in the Feywild behind it i love this because it's like super bright art and stuff and we're going to talk about this a lot more like uh next week as we kind of do a preview episode for it i think it's going to be a great adventure because the Feywild i just love this idea of like Here's a place where not everything works the way that you think it should. D&D is already a place where things don't work the way that you think it should. But I love that it's like, no, it's even more. It's even less the way you think it should be. Have you ever played like in a campaign, like in the Feywild before? No, I have not. Um, we uh, we did play a, a campaign where we can't even remember the Underdark, I believe it's called, where the drow live. Oh, yeah, yeah. But never the Feywild, no. Um, is the Feywild, um, I know that the Fey Step is what the Eladrin has, fourth edition. Is that the same? Yeah, it's it's the same place. Like, So the Feywild is like the light, fun, airy side of things. Uh, but also the Shadowfell is kind of like the dark, desolate, there's nothing here type uh, realm. And fourth edition played heavily on here are the three planes of existence. The Feywild, the Material Plane, and, the, and then the Shadow the shadow fell um type place so so that's that's our first book that's coming out also on september 21st uh dungeons and dragons never want to not print money uh there's a new themed dice set called the the witch like carnival dice and miscellany uh adventure set uh comes with 11 dice two dice trays 19 lore cards and a fold-out map of the carnival uh, and it's retails for $25. So uh, we'll have to see. We'll have to see if that's like worth the money. But if you don't have any dice and you don't know anything about D&D and you want to play in the Feywild, 
I would guess that this would be worth picking up. And then they're also releasing a Dungeon Master screen that has nothing to do with the Feywild that's focused on dungeon delving on the same day. So uh, they released a, a DM screen last year uh, that was focused on the wilderness, which I feel like would be much more apropos, if you will, for a Feywild-like release, but they already did it. So, um, so I guess now they're doing a dungeon delving one. You want to cover the next book that's coming out after that? Yes, if you like dragons, on October 19th, we get Fizz Treasury of Dragons supplement all about dragons. So if uh, you like dungeons, you like dragons, well, you like 50% of the book. Yeah, so I think Fizzbands is going to be good. Um, you know, for people who really are into dragons, like there's actually not that m much like dragon stuff that has come out since year one. Because they released a couple of like campaign things and adventures in year one. Rise of Tiamat and then Horde of the Dragon Queen. Which later got built into like their own book called uh, Tyranny of Dragons. So there hasn't been a lot of dragon stuff out there. But this is going to like add in like uh, like all sorts of different types of dragons. It's going to add in player character options if you want to like be a dragon or have dragon traits and stuff. Um, it's going to talk about like dragon layers and like famous dragons. So it's going to it's going to scratch that dragon itch uh, for sure. I remember then, when we uh, sorry, just touch base on this. I remember when we were kids, uh, there was a miniature called the Colossal Red Dragon. And it was like the coolest miniature that anybody could get. That was kind of Dungeons and Dragons. I looked it up on eBay and it's 550 US dollars. Holy goodness. <laughs> and then later this year in November on the 16th, uh, Strixhaven Curriculum of Chaos, uh, which is a setting book with also 10 micro adventures in it that can be strung together to be a campaign. I'm sure somebody at Wizards is like, they're not micro adventures, they're adventures, but it's got 10 adventures that can be played either solo, like like just like as a one shot or just like baked into your regular game or you can string them together as um, a campaign. Uh, what's interesting about this, this is actually the third like full book of Magic the Gathering that has like crossed over into Dungeons and Dragons. And if anybody here follows Magic the Gathering this summer, they just had the Forgotten Realms as like a set for for Magic. So it was a bunch of cards with like heroes and stuff. And just kind of like classic monsters for Magic the Gathering. So they're finally starting to like cross over some more there. But uh, one of the things that you might not know is that uh, a long time ago, back at the beginning, not maybe the beginning of 5e, but they released a whole bunch of basically free PDFs um, for D&D &D that was all stuff that you could just get on uh, drive-through RPG. Um, and some other places for free. I think DM's Guild was another one. But they released like Ixalan, Zendikar, I don't know, a bunch of the other like classic um, Magic the Gathering sets. So they basically were like, hey, here's how like these races work. Here's how the setting works. They had like full stories. It was like probably 20 to 30 page PDFs of like how to run a campaign in those areas. And they're all free and they've got monsters in the back. They've got like, you know, bestiary and stuff. 
I just want to keep coming back to you. Like, if you're worried about the price of D&D, like, there's so much free stuff out there that you can grab. And do you play any Magic? I, I don't really play any Magic. Uh, I did play lots of Magic growing up. Um, and then I realized how much it was hurting my bank account. Yeah. So, true confession. I sold all of my Magic cards when I moved to Virginia so that I could buy Dungeons & Dragons stuff. Yeah, you actually piqued my interest talking about um, all the magic stuff coming in uh, to see if they were planning on adding something as a planeswalker, as either uh, a class or a race playable um, character that is born with planeswalker spark. We'll have to see. I mean, the crossover capabilities of these two mega fantasy IPs is pretty huge so yeah. I, I won't be surprised if they continue to cross over oh even spells that are are cards magic the gathering game but you cast them inside of dungeons and dragons and, you know there's the sentimentality of people who really like magic the gathering they're like hey yeah i get to cast x y and z yeah my my guess is that there's going to be a lot of new spells in that strict saving book um because it's all about like the five colleges of magic. And so I'm going to guess that there's a lot more spells in there. And my guess would be, if not a hundred percent, almost a hundred percent of them will be named after cards from magic, the gathering. And uh, whether people like that or not, I don't know, but that's, that's my guess right now. Is we even equipment and artifacts, you know, I mean, they've got quite a few things like swords, swift foot boots. I mean, equipment artifacts that, um, could very easily be implemented into the character customization. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we're going to see a, a bunch of stuff that, that will start to cross over more and more because they've got huge player bases on both sides. And I think, you know, if there's one thing that, um, that wizards of the coast likes it's money. And so I'm sure that they know that they can make money off of magic, the gathering players by, releasing dungeons and dragons stuff that's pointed at them but like like we said earlier i didn't even know that uh the pharos book i didn't even know that that was like a magic thing until i like had bought the book and started reading it i thought it was just like oh this is like a cool like greek setting type thing um in mythic odysseys of theros i was like cool like i, I like greek you know nerdy history like you know hercules and achilles and that kind of crap and then i was like oh i i didn't know that there was like a whole magic the gathering set based around this kind of like like you know alternate history uh like ancient greece type stuff so and i'm i'm sure that they're able to do that with other things too um so uh next up that kind of takes us through like our core topics and like our stuff that's upcoming from uh from Wizards of the Coast and like core D&D stuff. There is a ton of stuff on Kickstarter these days to make your uh, Dungeons and Dragons game even bigger. And so we're going to cover some of those things here. I, I'm trying just to cover stuff that's going to that's going to finish on Kickstarter in the next like week or so, um, because otherwise there's just like a thousand links. So we'll post links in the description of the uh of the podcast and you guys can check it out there um the first thing is uh 
wondrous items for 5e dungeon scribe magical oddities uh so this is uh four decks of cards of magic items uh for your game but this looks cool it's four card sets so it's not like a book um and i think cards are like kind of a cool way if you're playing around the table to be like hey look like you can pass these out um one thing that i like about a book is that you can get a pdf of it and look at that thirty dollars you can get the three digital launch decks so you can get a printable pdf deck of cards still seems like more work than i want to do but if you need some more magic items it's there for you uh, did you did your group play with a lot of magic items when you guys would play games or were they like more rare was it like we're just all trying to find plate mail not typically, and mind you, we played when we were pretty young, so a lot of our stuff were homebrews and things like, well, this would be cool, and they're like, okay, well, how would we implement that and create our own stats and stuff like that for it? Um, but no, not not typically, uh, and most of that was just lack of material. We played, like you're saying, it doesn't take a lot to play, so I think one of the kids in our group uh, had a, uh, a player's uh, handbook um i think uh one of the older brothers of one of the players in our group had a monster manual and we just kind of made do between uh you know 10 15 kids imagination a pair of dice and some some monopoly miniatures <laughs> yeah there you go all right um this next one's pretty cool it's the custom engraved traveler's dice vault so this is not dice and so this is like a wooden custom engraved like thing to hold your dice uh, and a pencil. And there's a spot for miniatures. It's uh, $69 for one of these custom engraved dice vaults. They do look really, really cool. So if you want to impress everybody at the table, that's something you can jump into. Uh, the next uh, the next thing, also not a book, is the uh, Christmas tree die. Uh, and that ends September 16th. This is uh, a whole dice set that spins around and it looks like a Christmas tree. So it's a D4 all the way to a D20. And then they've got uh, two D10s in the middle there. And they've got a bunch of different colors. And it's $65 for a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year dice tree. Um, but you will be the coolest guy at the table come Christmas. Right. It's probably a great gift for somebody. Like if you're like, I don't know what to get this guy who's into Dungeons and Dragons. Um, this is probably something that every D D nerd would love to like unwrap in their stocking. And I mean it no, is really I know cool. exactly what to put in your Christmas stock. I mean, this would be like the coolest Christmas tree stocking stuffer to get would just be like, oh sweet, now I have a Christmas tree die. And I mean my kids would love this. Ending on September 15th is the Complete Folio Black Label. So this was weird. I think this is like for even more of a niche audience than like your average D&D group. This is like an adult themed uh, like set of books uh, that works with either first edition or fifth edition. I don't know. I thought it was interesting. I'm sure there's a niche out there. It is like a fully funded campaign. They've raised 40000 of their $10,000 goal. So um, it's going to fund. But anyways, I thought that was interesting. I don't know how much I need. Like, a, like I play with my kids uh, with my physical stuff. So I, I don't need this. But I'm sure there are people out there who are like, 
maybe into that or if you're into the art style it looks like there's a lot of art in the books when the game shop past 10 o'clock and all the kids are sent home we break out the black label portfolio <laughs> do you want to slay the dragon or seduce it <laughs> i don't know roll a persuasion <laughs> um all right getting into at the shrine of Othris, an adventure for D&D. It says it's a detailed and compelling adventure designed to take a party of characters to fourth level and beyond. Uh, so this looks like fine. There's a lot of like uh, stretch goals and stuff. There's not a lot of art like on the main page, which is something that always like worries me. Like, but you can get the the PDF of it, adventure and campaign setting for thirty five in PDF form. And you can get. You can spend 70 to get the print version of both. So, yeah, how uh, to save money on D&D by the PDFs. Yeah, dude, grab the PDFs. Like, especially if it's just something that, like, the dungeon master needs, like, or if it's something that you're not going to use a lot, like, I would just always jump into grabbing the PDF versions of things. Dungeon Master's Guild and Drive Through RPG, which are actually, I think, the exact same thing. They just gave them different names so that they could whoop people in to buy them there's tons of stuff on there that's free or cheap or whatever so if you're looking for something you could always just spend some time in there uh the next one which is like a campaign is called the corpus collection good and evil supplements for 5e uh that one's also going to end on september 16th as is uh the shrine of othris there's a lot of stuff in here like i have no idea how much like people need this but they basically have two books. One of them is like focused around angels. One of them's focused around demons and devils. It says there's over a hundred new monsters across the two books. I mean, there's a fair amount there. And then also with this, there's two kind of like setting books that are cities. So there's Mindabar, the city of malice and Laniel, the floating city of angels. And one of the things I watched, like, the little, like, preview video, it was like, oh, like, there's, like, you know, there's not enough angels in Dungeons and Dragons. There's too many demons. I was like, yeah, I kind of agree with that. The PDF sets, so if you want to get, like, the angel set, it's 30 bucks. Or if you want to get the the Corpus Malicious or and Mindabar set, that's 30 bucks. Or you can get all of the PDFs for 50 um, which is like four PDFs. And then they have like a thousand add-ons. They've got print versions. They've got like collector's editions. They've got dice. They've got like maps of the cities. They've got dungeon maps that you can get into. They've got like STL file minis that you can print at home. They've got their own dungeon master screen. I mean, if nothing else, like the campaign page is laid out pretty well. There's a lot of art like... Um, that you can see, I don't know, angels and demons. There's a fair amount of books about demons, uh, just like within the regular D and D like world. So, all right, last big book here is the Lost Codex of Merk Merkrin, Grimhaven. It's got like multiple codex uh, colons in here, but this one looks okay. Uh, it says "Welcome to Grimhaven." Uh, looks like they've got like. You know, some videos, it's like kind of like dark fantasy type things. Uh, 
it's got like a whole bunch of new like subclasses like it looks like one for every class in the game um and then new forms of magic there's some monsters digital edition for 12 great british pounds which uh i don't know that's i'm just a filthy american i I don't know how much that is in american dollars but it's probably like 15 bucks or something Um, oh it's about 17 dollars it says oh uh the deluxe edition which gives your name will be included on our official thank you page you can pay 20 great british pounds or 28 dollars and then you can get the physical book for 35 bucks or the deluxe physical edition for 55 bucks and then they've got a bunch of stuff like oh you can like be a city artisan sit down with the creator of grimhaven on an online discord call to create an npc creature location that would be put straight in to the lost codex of mercurin mercurin grimhaven so i don't know seems cool if you need some more dark fantasy stuff in your life although i will say that as i've been going through like kickstarters over the last couple years i feel like there are so many like this is even darker than regular D D. Um, and I just I just don't know how much like extra dark I need in my Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, we've already got <clears throat> Curse of Strahd and they just released earlier this year Van Richten's Guide to to Ravenloft. Uh so I mean there's plenty of dark out there. There's probably some pretty dark stuff in the black label too. <laughs> Seems like there probably is. <laughs> Um, all right, so the last thing I wanted to cover this is just really cool. Uh, it's this thing called Crimson Escalation. Uh, it's basically just a rule, and uh, all you can do he only has there's only a one dollar tier. It's basically this guy who like came up with an idea, but there's one piece of art on the page and then just like a bunch of memes, um, like which is. I don't know. It's it's got my, it's got its hooks in me. Um, he's got like links to his like free uh, drive through RPG stuff, but and then he basically just tells you what what it is. Like it's basically just one rule that like makes combat go faster, um, which I think is great. Um, but I'll just I'll leave the link here. You can go look at the rule. I don't know. Should I read the rule? He te- he literally tells you what the rule is for free on his page, but I feel like it's worth like the dollar to like to back the game. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not even a game, but it's just like a good idea. And so, but basically, I'm just gonna spoil it here. But I still think you know, go check out Crimson Escalation on Kickstarter. If if you're gonna use the rule, might as well give this guy a dollar um, for it. <clears throat> It basically just every round critical hits hit one lower. So like in the first round of combat, a 20 is a critical hit. The second round of combat, 19s and 20s are a critical hit. The third round, 18, 19s and 20s. It just like keeps going to the point where you'd be like, oh, you rolled a 10. That's a critical hit. (laughs) Now, is that vice versa? I mean, dude, if I was a DM and my people were critting my monsters on an 11, I definitely would be putting them on the left yeah well that's a that's a pretty scary rule in reverse though as well <laughs> yeah especially with like all the new like the big bads in in fifth edition are just like they really are big and bad i don't know i thought 
hey this is cool um i i'm gonna back the project right now uh because i just feel like for one buck it, if i if i ever use the rule i i just won't feel bad about the fact that i'm i'm doing it so go fund this man for his original idea <laughs> it's it's a great idea so it is it is it really does increase because there there can be some long encounters yeah dude some i mean so last night we were playing an encounter and, and to be fair we're getting near the end of the campaign but we turn on the we turn on the discord call at like 9 9 15 and i think we turned off the discord call at like 12 30 one o'clock this wasn't last night sorry this was a friday night so my days just run together, man. I'm a dad of three. I got a real job. And then I do all this nerd crap on the side. But anyways, the last game that I was playing, it, it it ran over. You know, we played three hours and it was all just this one massive combat. And I guarantee you, if we were playing with this rule, we would have party wiped way earlier. <laughs> <laughs> the Minotaur is charging you and he crits at a nine. <laughs> We want to end every show. Uh, the name of the show is Monster Soundwave, and so thank you. If you've gotten this far, wow. Uh, I appreciate you and, and your commitment to us. But we want to end each show uh, like talking about a couple of monsters. And so uh, the, mo the monster that I wanted to talk about tonight was I wanted to talk about something that I found in, in the 5th edition uh, Monster Manual. And then I started looking up, and I was like, oh my gosh, this thing's like been around forever. It's called a grell. And to give you an idea of what it looks like, it has, it is like a brain with a beak and then like 10 tentacles like coming out of the bottom of it. It's just like this crazy looking monster. And uh, it came out, I think it like, it started out back in like, it was like in like one of like the first D&D like type things or advanced D, I don't know but it was like in like one of the first things where it came out and they've it's like been in every book since then i've been playing DD for 10 years i've never fought against a grell and i was just like holy crap how how did i never fight against a grell before because this thing looks freaking terrifying i would not want to fight against something with a brain with a beak um have you seen have you seen what a grell looks like i'm gonna send yeah. you a picture of it I I, uh, I googled it actually just to uh, just to see. Now they actually have a uh, creature must like it if uh, people play Elder Scrolls online, but I forget. That. Um, but no, yeah, that thing is terrifying. It's just like I'm like, oh my gosh! It's, like the tentacles have like barbs on it and stuff. So, anyways, and the I, beak has teeth. Yeah, the beak has teeth, so it's like a goose, and, and geese are already pretty terrifying as it is. Like, it's not like you need like more than that. I love when there's like little things in here that it's like uh one of the things that it says, like it says the languages that it speaks. Grell. I'm just like, why would they put that? Like it's it's just like it doesn't it doesn't speak any languages. It's just like this terrifying brain with a beak and and I guess it can speak to other Grell, but like what character is like, you know what language I want to add to my like to my character? I'm, I'm gonna put I'm gonna I'm gonna put that I speak Grell on my character sheet. I, I once was a Grell hoarder. <laughs> I herded Grell for a long 
So, anyways, I was looking at this thing, like, it's not that, like, challenging of a monster and stuff. Um, it's, like, come up in different books, like, throughout time. But I love the idea of just, like, using it almost as a trap. Because it can, like, it can grapple a target. It can restrain a target. And so, restrained targets, like, have disadvantage on attack rolls. And then it has advantage on attack rolls against its restrained target. So I feel like this would be like super terrifying if you were like fighting like some other monsters and then all of a sudden a Grell like drops down from like the vaulted ceiling or something like that. Or like wondering if like a treasure chest is trapped and everybody's trying to figure out the trap in the treasure chest and then just like a couple of Grell drop down from the ceiling and start attacking the party. Like I feel like that would just be terrifying. But anyways, that was a monster that I found that I just wanted to bring up and uh so, Micah, you have written down Lich. Yes. So tell us, uh, tell us about, tell us about liches. Well, liches, uh, unlike Grell, are a far more well-known Dungeons and Dragons universe. But just as long-living, uh, Dungeons and Dragons is telling me that uh, the Lich actually came out between the year of 1974 and 1976. Uh, for those of you who do not know what a lich is, liches are the remains of great wizards embraced undeath as a means of preserving themselves for their own further power. Having no interest in the affairs of living except where those affairs interfere with their own, scheming and insane hunger for long-forgotten knowledge and most terrible secrets. Because the shadow of death doesn't hang over them, they can conceive plans that take years, decades, or even centuries to come to fruition. Um, basically, a lich is a wizard uh, that took up the path to lichdom on a whim. And the process of becoming a lich is a well-guarded secret. Wizards that seek lichdom must make bargains with fiend, evil god, or even foul entity. Many turn to Orcus, demon prince of the undeath, whose power uh, was created, has created rather, countless However, those that control the power of lichdom always demand fealty and service for knowledge. Um, basically, they create and bind their soul to a phylactery. Doing so binds the soul of the mortal world, preventing it from traveling to the outer planes after death. Phylactery is additionally an amulet, um, but it can take shape of many yeah, and uh, because of that reason, liches typically live um, in a lair and stay there for their very, very uh, immortal long lives. They've got some pretty freaky spells uh, as they are very evil entities. Uh, looks like rejuve rejuvenation. If it has a phylactery, a destroyed lich gains a new body in 1d10 days. Regaining all its hit points and becoming active, the new body appears with five feet of the flak. Uh, it also looks like it's got things like paralyzing touch, frightening gaze, uh, gaze disrupting life. Um, and I uh, also found that there can be things called good liches uh, that are called arch liches that are people who live a noble life and uh, decide to prolong their life into a flak. Um, in order to continue keeping the peace and good of all of the liches are liches are just like 
they're definitely like the most terrifying undead because it's like oh you killed it did you find it's like 12 phylacteries like to make sure that it's all the way dead and whatever it uses for a phylactery i remember uh we had a one out of a homebrew campaign that used like a it was like a staff, and at the top of it was a crystal skull, and that was its source of power. It's black. We had to try to um, destroy the staff in order to kill. It was pretty cool. We all died. That's kind of the way of things, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Indeed. So, yeah, I love liches, man. And uh, I have a question for you. I want to go back really quickly. Liches basically speak. You know, and that, like you can imagine, like the sound that a lich would make. I mean, basically, just watch Harry Potter and be like, whatever Voldemort sounds like. That's kind of what a what a lich sounds like. I don't know. Does that insult you that I refer to Voldemort as a lich? <laughs> no, it doesn't insult me. But I, I think that if I if I was to put a tone on on a lich, I would imagine him more like Snape. Maybe, but I mean. I kind of view a lich as more like even more undead looking than most of like the quote unquote liches that are out there in like main media. Like I think more like Skeletor type looking character, maybe like. Um, oh, but I, I imagine after sitting thousands of years in an old decrepit tomb, the only thing keeping it together still is is magic. So it, it would be like a, a like a skeletal structure that would have since decayed long before but um the work of evil magic has been keeping it together definitely not something you want to encounter inside of your life no um but i want to ask you about something what you've seen a picture of a grell what noise do you think a grell makes um have you ever seen up yeah i've seen i've seen the movie up i imagine it sounds like kevin <laughs> Like, like the bird. <laughs> yeah, like the big, the big prismatic bird. It's just like not that terrifying. Like... <laughs> or extremely terrifying, depending if you're getting chased down by a grill. <laughs> that's that's the perfect way to wrap up this podcast, man. All right, um, thank you so much for being here, Micah, and thank you, audience, for still being here. Um, hey, so this is our first episode. Uh, if if this works um and i can figure out editing and we can keep doing this there will be a patreon soon uh which will get you early access to all of our shows that we do um and if we ever hit 50 members we'll add a patreon exclusive episode each month um uh because then maybe there's a chance that even more people want to pay us to hear our content so anyways we hope you enjoyed the show uh, my name is robert snow uh my co-host has been micah i don't know do you want me to say your last name oh that's fine sir micah of house norton there you go <laughs> um are you... all right well thank you all so much we hope you have a great night we'll be back next week to talk about uh the wild beyond the witch fire and uh we'll we'll talk about all the preview stuff for that so have a great night everybody and we'll see you next time yeah yeah